Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free indeed. I'm a child. His grace runs deep While I was a slave to sin Jesus died for me Yes, He died for me Through the sun place for me I'm a child 
church. You good? Hey, it's good to be with you guys this week uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, because we just uh, were introduced to that new song. And uh, if you're not fired up right now about Jesus, I, I don't know what to do. Um, we are in trouble um, because that new song was awesome. How many of you would agree with that? Uh, yeah. And um, it's good. And, it, and, if, and if seeing Seth play the drums doesn't fire you up again, I don't, I don't know what I can do uh, for you. Um, it's great. Uh, it's great to be with you this week. I was one of those chaperones, one of the seven chaperones for the 16 uh, middle schoolers that we had. Um, Liz was wondering why we have so many chaperones per middle school. Have you ever been around middle schoolers? Um, that's why we did. But our middle schoolers, you guys would be so proud of them. I mean, they were awesome, uh, well-behaved, uh, but more importantly, they just engaged in the small group time uh, with participation in a way that uh, I haven't seen middle schoolers in a long time. I lead weekly uh, a, seventh, a group of seventh and eighth grade guys, and uh, it was cool to see this week how those middle school kids just pressed into the Lord's presence, and then how so many of them um, grew deeper in their, their worship of God through corporate worship. And, um, and what I'm appreciative of is that we get to come back on Sundays to a room that's not full of stinky middle schoolers and uh, worship you guys. Uh, y'all appreciate hygiene and that's good. Um, but it was fantastic to be in a room of about a thousand middle schoolers, an auditorium, um, even though it smelled, to see them just give everything that they had uh, for the glory of God. Um, and so it's great to be back with you. Uh, as we continue a series that we started at the beginning of the summer, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, that is a book of the Bible that narrates uh, through the lens of this guy named Mark, uh, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're spending nine weeks covering that together. We developed a reading plan for you that's found in that bookmark. If you didn't get one of those bookmarks, I want to encourage you to pick uh, one of those up at guest services or at the cafe counter. They're available for you. And as you're reading along, check it off, post it to social media so that we can all kind of jump in and, and discover what you're discovering as you read through the pages of Scripture. The Bible says that God's Word never returns void. And so if we'll pick up the pages of Scripture daily, read those, it will get in us. It will not return void. In other words, it's going to have some impact and transformation in our life. And we believe that to be the case because we believe that God inspired the authors of these books of the Bible um, in a way that is to help us understand more of who God is and what he has done in our life. And we're discovering that together through uh, this summer as we engage in the pages of scripture uh, about how we can prepare for this race of faith and this race of life that God has uh, set before us. 
And so that's why we're on the mark. We're ready to run the race as we read the pages of Scripture. And today we're going to discover how God addresses one of the universal desires that we all have within us, and that is a universal desire to be great. Uh, I have a confession uh, to, to make before you this morning. I, I, I want to be first in almost anything. Um, I want to be first place in almost anything. When I pull into a grocery store parking lot, I want that first place spot for some reason that does more for my identity than a lot of things. And so I'm, I'm seeking that first. And when you find that first parking spot, I mean, how many of you view that as like winning the lottery? I mean, it is like something magical happens. Yeah. And then when I go to the grocery store and I, and I go through the, the, the grocery you know, store and I get all my stuff and I'm, I'm ready to check out, I'm looking where I can be the first and you know, you, you make eye contact with that person at the other end of the store, but you know you're both heading there and you're looking, you're sizing each other up and you're like, I'm gonna get there first, you know? And so you try to pull into that spot. Um, how many of you go to Chick-fil-A with the double lines and you're like, hmm, like which lines should I get in so that I can get through faster? And how many of you are like sizing up that car that either went before you or right after you and you're keeping track of who gets through that line? How many of you did, is, it's just me? Okay, no, no, there's some others. Yeah, yesterday was funny. Um, Braden and I, uh, my oldest son, we were picking up lunch for the family at Chick-fil-A on the way back from uh, uh, travel ball tryouts. And um, we were in the line and this truck got in front of me and I picked the outside line and Braden goes, you just made a mistake. I was like, what, what do you mean? He goes, you never get in the outside lane. I was like, oh my gosh. And uh, sure enough, he was right. Um, two cars, two cars got in front of me that were behind me when it, when it came to line. And I was, it was driving me nuts. I mean, there's this desire to be first in a lot of things. And it's not just like silly, petty things like that. I mean, you can go back to your childhood. Maybe some of you are still in this uh, age and phase of your life. When it comes to sports, you don't just want to make the team, but you want to be in the first string, right? You want to be in that first group, those starters that finish, uh, that start and maybe finish uh, first. Uh, if it's music, you want to be in the first chair. Uh, you want to be in that first position. If you're a dancer, uh, maybe you want to be in that principal role. You want to be in that first kind of spotlight role. Uh, it kind of continues through life. Maybe in your family, you want to be the first to graduate college from your family. Uh, among your friends, maybe you want to be the first to actually graduate college from your friends. Maybe the first to get that job, the first to get the house, the first to get married. Maybe you want to be the first to have kids or maybe the first to have four kids. You know, I mean, there's a lot of first that you have. You can be the first uh, to, to, among siblings to, to produce grandkids for your parents. I mean, there's a lot of things in life where, where we really just want to size up life and go, hey, I want to be first. Um, I want to be first. And I think this is a universal desire within us, a desire to be first or a desire to be great. I think that's another way to think about it too, especially as we get to the text today, a desire to be great, that we all have this desire to be first or great. And sometimes that even extends to our faith too. You know, when you read the passages uh, of the Bible and you hear all these stories of some of those that are first mentioned, the first take steps of faith, like Abraham, who is the first in the Bible to kind of leave behind everything for this calling that God has for his life. Or, or David, um, as he fights this giant named Goliath, you know, he's the, kind of the first to, to um, step out and defeat an enemy of God. Um, with just a, a few things, but, you know, like a slingshot and five stones, uh, but great faith. And, and then you go down to greats like Moses, who leads an entire nation who are enslaved out of slavery. Or then you have Paul in the New Testament, this guy who 
was a church persecutor turned church planner and planted and helped plant directly and indirectly a number of churches and then writes the majority of the Bible. And, and so even in our faith, we read those stories and we're inspired by that. We're inspired by those stories because it speaks to this universal desire that we all have to be great. I don't know too many people who set out in life and say, you know what, I just want to be poor and average at what I do. And uh, you might not even like what you do as a profession. Anybody want to? No, don't raise your hand. You know, like, but I just want to be average. I just want to be average. You know, I just want to be an average spouse. I just want to be an average parent. I just want to be an average child. I just want to be an average student or an average athlete or an average artist. I mean, nobody ever like speaks about that. And it's because there's this universal desire that we have, and that's to be great. And we aspire to greatness. And um, some of Jesus' disciples aspire to be great too. And he addresses how we can prepare for this faith journey, this faith race, when it comes to this universal universal desire for greatness. And so if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to go with me to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 33. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 33. Now, just to kind of uh, catch you up, if you weren't reading along this week, or actually this is for next week's reading, so you're not there yet unless you cheated and you read ahead. Um, Jesus goes on this like spiritual retreat, uh, not quite a middle school retreat, although it might be similar to a middle school retreat. It's thought that Jesus' disciples, some of them would have been in their teenage years, and so maybe he did have some middle schoolers on this retreat with him, uh, but he goes up, he takes three specifically, and he has this moment where he is, his full um, divinity is realized uh, by his disciples. It's called the transfiguration, for those of you that are familiar with biblical terms. Um, he comes down from that treat, he does some miracles, um, and, uh, and then he does some teaching about how he's going to die and come back from the dead. Um, and he's journeying, so he's taking this retreat, and he's traveling a lot, and on the way of traveling, there's some conversation that they have amongst, them, uh, amongst themselves about the greatest, and so that's where we pick up this um, passage in verse 33, and they, that's Jesus and his disciples, came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, that's Jesus, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Uh, Pedro, our student pastor, and I, we were talking this week about how um, argument is not a spiritual gift. Of, uh, it's not a, a spiritual gift uh, from God, um, although you see that a lot in the context of uh, Christianity. Um, and so here you have it. They're arguing with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12. Those were his closest followers. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. And he took the child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And that's where the passage ends, at least according to the, to the editors of the Bible, before they begin another subtitle of this chapter and move into this different passage of Scripture. And so if you were to take a, a look at the conversation about the greatest that is synonymous with first, first and greatest, it ends there. And so it's a really interesting passage, I think, um, when it comes to this universal desire that we have. 
And so you see that Jesus, as he's journeying, and he would have been in the lead, and his disciples would have been following, because that's the relationship that he has with his followers. He would lead, and they would follow. And a lot of times, as there's a leader out front, and people that are following, the people that are in back have a different conversation than those that are in the front. And so Jesus might have been by himself, um, using his, like, fully God in the flesh, like, super, you know, uh, hearing to, to listen in on what they're having a conversation about. And somehow they're having a conversation about the greatest of all time. They're, they're wondering who is the goat, you know, who, who will it be said 2000 years later when people are reading about our story through the lens of Mark, who are they going to be talking about when it comes to the disciples? Which one of us is the greatest? And I found a lot of comfort when we were prepping for this message. I found a lot of comfort in in the fact that um, what we talk about now a lot in media, especially in like sports conversations, like they were still talking about, they were talking about 2,000 years ago. And if you were to turn on SportsCenter this morning, I did not, but if you were, my bet is that the conversation, uh, the first thing that they would highlight in SportsCenter is where is King James going to go? I know we got some Cleveland people in here, and I'm sorry that he's not staying in Cleveland, but where is he going to go? And and the the whole conversation about where LeBron is going to go is based on where he can go so that he can solidify in his mind, at least, and in the minds of media, current contemporary media, that he is the greatest of all time. And in order to become the greatest of all time, he's got to win more championships. He's been to a lot, but he hasn't won as many as... Michael Jordan, that's right, who we all know is the greatest of all time, right? You know, um, and so, like, that's the whole conversation right now. And, and the conversation hasn't changed for 2,000 years. It's like, who's the greatest? Who's the GOAT? And uh, LeBron's trying to make this decision on, on where it is. And what I think is interesting about this passage is that Jesus does not rebuke them for their conversation about who is the greatest. They, they feel this, like, weird kind of, like, shame when it comes to their conversation, and he says, hey, what have you guys been talking about? And they don't say anything because they've been discussing who is the greatest. They don't want to talk because there's something that's off in them. And what's off in them is that there is this universal desire that is placed within them, I believe, by God, because we're created in God's image and his likeness, and we have a good and great God, at least that's what our childhood blessings over meals tells us. We have a great God who has made us in his image and his likeness. So we have deposited within us all kinds of desires that reflect the nature of God. And yet it's tainted by the nature of sin that we're born into. And so this desire to be great comes from God and yet it's tainted by sin. And so when this question is asked of them, what are you talking about? They keep silent. And that's what sin does. It creates shame within us. And, and what sin does to this universal desire, this quest for greatness, is that it distorts it and it taints it and it kind of um, just ruins it and, and, in two ways. And the first is that we think that to be great, we must be acknowledged as great or be recognized by others as great. Again, if we were to go back to LeBron James, I mean, I don't know that LeBron's sitting around going, hey, um, I hope they acknowledge me as the greatest of all time. I don't know. I mean, I don't have that Jesus ability to get in his head. 
But what I do know is that the media spends a lot of time talking about who's the greatest, who's the greatest. And they do that not just with basketball, but with sports. Media talks about actors, actresses, artists, who's the greatest artist of all time. I mean, you put it, put it in the lens of conversations around schools. If you're a teacher or your faculty member, and, and that gets voted on every year, who's the best teacher? And so these conversations happen all the time around us. Who's going to be acknowledged and recognized as the greatest of all time? And that's what sin does. Sin has this ability to take a universal quest, desire to be great, and taints it by wanting to be acknowledged. There's a second way that sin taints our desire to be great, too. And that's by thinking that in in order to be great, we've got to be better than others. And so really, greatness is defined not just in recognition and acknowledgement of being great, but being better than other people. And so Jesus hears this conversation about who among the disciples is the greatest of all time. And he doesn't rebuke them, but he does redefine for them what qualifies as greatness. He doesn't rebuke his disciples for their desire to be great. He redeems it and he redefines qualifications for greatness. And the qualification for greatness for him is this paradox. It doesn't seemingly make sense. It seemingly contradicts itself. And that's how Jesus talked a lot of times. He talked a lot in paradoxical terms, things that are seemingly contradictory. You know, he says things like, if you want to find life, you've got to lose life. Well, how many of you have ever found anything by losing something? Maybe you find a new iPhone at the Verizon store if you lose your old iPhone, but Jesus says, hey, if you want to find life, you lose it. And in this passage, he says, hey, if you want to be first, you got to be what? Last. And if you want to be great, you got to be least. If you want to be first, you got to be last. If you want to be great, you want to be least. And I would question Jesus, like, is your counting the same as my counting? Is your mathematics the same as mine? Because this doesn't make sense. In order to be first, you got to be last. In order to be great, you got to be least. This doesn't make sense. And Jesus says, this is the qualification. And here's why. Because the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ is not concerned with the things of flesh. And the spirit of Christ redefines for us what life and faith looks like when it's lived out in a relationship with God. To where sin says, you have to be acknowledged and recognized as the greatest. The spirit says, I don't care if I'm recognized on earth. One of of my favorite pastors and an author that I've read is a guy named Bill Johnson. And Bill Johnson has this great quote, one of my favorite quotes all time from all pastors. He says, I care not if my name is known on earth, only that it's known in heaven and in hell. Wow. What a great quote. The spirit of God dwelling within a person on this faith journey does not care about recognition or fame. It redeems that quest for greatness with a qualification that says, hey, you know what? If I'm least, that's okay. If I'm last, that's okay. It's okay. Because Jesus says that, hey, you don't have to be like, like actually first place. You don't have to be recognized as great in this world. And the Spirit says, hey, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if I'm known on this earth. Listen, you don't have to do great things for God. You don't have to do great things for God. Just do things for a great God. You don't have to do great things for God. Just do things for a great God. In other words, be obedient to what the Spirit of 
God says to do. And that's how all these people in the Bible get to a place where we recognize them and we go, hey, you know what? These are the greats of the faith. And all the people that you can come up with and you can say they're great at what they do, there's simple acts of obedience along their journey. And whatever it is, whatever arena of life, time over time, that's what we're called to do. And whether we get recognized for it or not, it's okay. You know, that second way that sin taints our universal quest for greatness and that we think that we're better than others. Sin would say, hey, we got to be better than others. And the Spirit says, no, actually, just be less than others. Just be less than others. Now, Philippians chapter 2, uh, this guy named Paul, he's writing, and he says, hey, have the same mindset that Jesus had, who in humility did not consider himself better than others, but that others are more significant. Now, did you catch that? What Paul didn't say was think about other people before you think of yourself. He said, think of others as better than yourself. Huh. Sin says you gotta be greater than others. The spirit says, consider others better than yourself. That's the true posture of humility is that you would consider others more significant than you. And then he gives us a picture of how God in the flesh, I mean, the creator of the universe through Christ, all things were created uh, through him and for him and by him. And yet he leaves heaven. He comes to earth in the form of a slave, a human being, and then dies a servant's death, death on the cross. I mean, it doesn't get any lower than that. Why does he do that? Because he has a mindset that he does not consider himself better than others, but that others are more significant. You were more significant than Christ, God in the flesh. Well, according to the Bible, that's what he says. At least that's the mindset of Jesus. So much so that he would be faithful to the Father, dying on the cross, and that it would be a gift for you. So when Jesus talks about greatness, he doesn't rebuke a desire for greatness, a quest for greatness. He just redeems it. He redeems it through his life and his death and his resurrection. And he redefines what qualifications for greatness look like. That you would be last, that you would be least, that you don't have to be recognized, and that you should consider others better than yourself. And then he does something interesting. Jesus was a master teacher, right? And so he had all kinds of like masterful ways of teaching people and getting it to stick with people. And so he, he picks up a child. At least the context is that he picks up a child because he says, whoever receives the least of these, he picks up a child. And so Jesus is holding a child. Imagine I had a child here uh, with me. Maybe if I was a masterful teacher, I would have a child with me. Um, and you hold a child and you say, whoever receives one of these. And he's talking about children. And I think this is a really interesting thing when he says, hey, if you want to be first, you be last. If you want to be great, you need to be least and you need to be servant of all. He picks up a child and he says, hey, if you'll receive them. And that word receive means that if you'll love them and honor them and, and you'll serve them. And, and it's masterful because of all the people in the world that can't pay you anything and that can promote you to anything and that probably won't appreciate you, it's a child. It's a child. I mean, just, just spending a week with middle schoolers reminded me of that. I mean, they can't promote you to anything. They can't pay you anything. Now, they'll spend their money at the store. They won't have money left over for food on Thursday. 
They probably won't say thank you unless their parents tell you, tell them to in the parking lot before they go home. This is what it means to be last. This is what it means to be least. This is what it means to be servant of all. If you have the ability to serve a child, if you have the ability to serve another person, this is what it means to be great. And Jesus says, here's the, here's the commendation. Here's the commendation if you qualify for greatness, you will receive Jesus. And if you receive Jesus, then you will receive the Father who sent him. And there's nothing greater that you can get in this world than more of Jesus and more of the Father. And I'll tell you one thing. Hanging out with a group of stinky middle schoolers, who are pressing into the presence of God and worship, who are diving into conversations around that small group, conversations that matter. I received more of Jesus this past week than I had the previous week. When I spent time at Camp Kidzoo at the beginning of June, I got more of Jesus that week than I got the week before sitting in a room of church planners. If you want to know what greatness is like, become least. And if you want to know what it means to be the least, it means to be the servant of all. And if you want to learn what it means to be the greatest among the least, then go serve some kids. You'll receive more of Jesus. You'll receive more of the Father. We asked two of our great kids who volunteers a couple of weeks ago, just kind of a couple of questions. One of those volunteers is a guy named Josh Rowan. Many of you know Josh Rowan. I mean, it's hard to not know Josh Rowan. He's six foot three. Um, and, and, he's, and he's built like an offensive lineman, and that's because he was an offensive lineman. In fact, he was a three-time All-American in college as an offensive lineman at Elon. Um, a great guy. I mean, he's a state wrestling champion in high school. I mean, he's a, a great guy in many, in like many ways, like in, in primarily just frame. So you have this great, huge guy who, for the majority of his time at the Vine, which I believe has been about nine years, has been serving in Kidzu. Among also serving adults in small groups. And I asked him some questions about why he wanted to serve. And he said he actually finds it easier to serve children than to serve as a connect group leader. Because of the way that they receive what's being taught and the way that they embrace what's being taught. And he gets it. And maybe that's another masterful reason why Jesus held up a child. You know, that there's something that's absorbent in a child that, that maybe we don't get. That maybe he knows the stats from, that would, would come in 2,000 years that if, if you want to capture a person for faith, your best chance to do that is from zero to 18. And Josh gets it. He understands greatness. There's another guy, he serves at our Flower Branch campus. Before that, he served here. Uh, his name is Nate Reynolds. Uh, now, Nate Reynolds is kind of like the opposite of Josh Rowan as far as like great stature is concerned, but Nate Reynolds is a great guy. In fact, he's so great that he scales skyscrapers uh, doing assessments for um, certain uh, reclamation projects. And, um, and so like, I would not get on a skyscraper, the side of a skyscraper. I don't know about you, I wouldn't do it. And so like, to me, that makes him great. 
But what also makes him great is that he serves in kids in. He started serving here at this campus before we launched our Flowery Branch campus because there was a need. I mean, we don't say needs a lot. We call them opportunities. There was a need in uh, the K-1 class, and he started serving in there. Um, actually, he started serving in the baby room because he thought it would be cool to hold babies. And then, uh, and then he realized there was, a, there was a greater opportunity in the K-1 class. And so he started serving in there. I asked him you know, what it was that um, he gained out of serving in that. And he said that he gained a couple of things. Number one, in preparation for teaching kindergartners and first graders, he learned more about God's love. He said that when they talk about what they're learning, it helps him understand more of God's love. And then he said, being able to talk to a kindergartner and a first grader has helped him be able to share God's love with family members, friends, coworkers in a way that he wasn't able to do before. And this is, this is what greatness looks like in the kingdom. This is what it looks like when our quest for greatness is redeemed and re- redefined for us. It's that we would take a posture of last, we would take a posture of least, servant of all, And as we do that, every testimony is going to be the same. I receive more of Jesus and the Father. So this morning, embrace the quest for greatness. Don't settle for average or mediocre. Desire to be great, but let God redefine that for you. And that you, filled with the Spirit of God, not desire to be recognized or acknowledged as great, would not consider yourself better than others but that you would consider yourself servant to all. This morning, if you've never before submitted your life as a servant to Christ, I want to invite you this morning to ask Jesus to be the leader of your life. If you have done that and the vine is your church home, I want to invite you to, uh, and you're not in a place of service, I want to invite you to, to um, experience what service is like. We've got a serve team expo that meets every month. And that's a great opportunity for you to experience all that the vine offers as a way of serve teams. And for some of you, maybe you want to do just as Jesus did and, and take those children and embrace them and, and serve them and share with them the love of Christ. And that's why on your seat today, there were some I Said Yes cards. I want everybody to hold up one of these I Said Yes cards. If this is your church home and you don't have a way of service and you're saying, okay, well, if it was important for Jesus to to use the children as an example, I want to dive in because I want it to be just like Jesus. Um, And you're ready to dive in and to say yes to the next generation. I want to invite you just to fill out this card. And on your way out this morning, stop by guest services and drop it off right there. And somebody from Kidzu will contact you about the opportunity to serve. But all of us and every opportunity, every day, have a great opportunity to be great by being servant of all. So let us take on the posture and the mindset of Christ and let's become great, the greatest of all time. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, Jesus 
just the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe Live for you, oh we live for you Sing holy, holy There is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes and wonder Show me who you are and fill me with your heart And lead me in your love to those around me Worthy of every song ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh Jesus Jesus the only one who could ever say the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you